welcome to Living Water Radio. Is there a way to excel in Lent? The Roman numeral XL stands for 40. Maybe that's a clue. Today, we're going to find out. My name is Pastor David Burkadal. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is an ordained minister actively focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today, I'm filling in temporarily for pastors in the Los Angeles area. Maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm attempting to learn Mandarin Chinese. We are retired clergy and have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience between the two of us. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. Sally and I began doing regular videos, podcasts, and blogs as streams of living water during the pandemic to help bring Christians in the L.A. area and beyond a sense of connection and encouragement. Today, we are releasing our 300th. When many people think of the number 300, they think of the Spartans, who, with others, fought to the death to hold off a vastly superior force of Persians at the Battle of Thermopylae in 480 B.C. But today, we're going to think of one who gave his life for the sake of the world, and another number, the Roman numeral XL. The numeral XL stands for our number 40, or the number of days in the season of Lent, or extra large, or extra Lent, or excelling in Lent. Lent is a time to reflect on what's real and important in life and to return to the Lord. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4.8, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's an excellent model of how to excel in Lent. It's also at the core of the reading from the Gospels that will be read in the vast majority of churches in the world this coming Sunday, John 2, verses 13 through 22. Do you recall the story of Jesus driving the merchants and money changers out of the temple using a whip of cords ever being read out loud in church? Probably. Even though, unless we read it on our own, we only hear it read at church once every three years. It's such a vivid image. It's so uncharacteristic of the way most of us picture Jesus behaving. It makes a pretty deep impression. And yet, what has been called the cleansing of the temple isn't about reforming a certain kind of worship, but about replacing it. It's not about the destruction in a temple, but about the destruction of Jesus. And only one of them will rise in three days. Here's what happened. Just after Jesus' first miracle, changing water into wine in Cana in Galilee, Jesus goes over to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples for a few days. Then he walks the 90 to 105 miles, depending on the route he took, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. Fun fact, Jesus walked at least 15,000 miles in his lifetime. Funner fact, Jesus walked from the north to the south on this trip, but the Bible says that he went up to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is built on and is synonymous with Mount Zion. When he gets there, this happens in John 2, verses 13 through 17. 
The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. It's Lent, and it's also Girl Scout cookie season, which seems weird because that seems like temptation, but maybe that's just me. Our son was looking at a table of cookies the other day and was considering a box of Samoas. The Girl Scout asked, do you know what they say about Samoas? What? Our son replied. If you only buy one box of Samoas, you're going to want Samoa. Salesmanship and the lengths to which some people will go to persuade you to buy their product are central in today's text. Animal sacrifice had been a part of temple worship for hundreds of years. The animal blood was poured out on an altar. Sacrifices could be made to glorify God in thanksgiving and or as a requirement for the forgiveness of sins. The greater the praise or thanks or the bigger the sin or the wealthier the donor, the bigger the animal. There was only one place in the world where the Jews could do this, and that was in the temple in Jerusalem. Jews came to the temple from all over the world, so the transportation of animals that were acceptable for sacrifice was a problem. Solution. Buy the animals when you get there. Animal dealers were set up outside the temple, and they inflated the prices. But only acceptable temple money could be used to buy them and to pay the required temple tax, because every other money was unclean. Solution. Money changers were also available when you got there, and they charged a fee. And people being people, the animal sellers and money changers competed for your business, and maybe sometimes they got loud and could be heard inside the temple. And it appears that some of them gradually crept closer to the entrance for a competitive advantage, and then inside the temple. Can you imagine what Jesus saw when he got there? The chaos of sights and sounds, the smell, the yelling of the sellers and the buyers and the panicked animals. He found a whip and drove the whole business out. He dumped the money and flipped the tables. Can you imagine the response of the animal sellers and money changers, the worshipers and priests? Even more chaos. And the disciples missed the point. Again. They thought that Jesus was reforming the temple sacrifice system. Jesus was replacing it. Jesus was about to be the final sacrifice. His blood would be poured out for the sake of the world. The reading concludes in John 2, verses 18 through 22. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. I spent a summer when I was in seminary doing a quarter of clinical pastoral education. 
CPE is a program training prospective pastors to do hospital visits and counseling. It's very intense and exposes seminarians to a lot of different kinds of life experiences. The program I was a part of was held at Lutheran General Hospital in Park Ridge, Illinois. One night there was a humongous thunderstorm and a lightning bolt hit a transformer that knocked out power to the hospital. The emergency generators kicked in and all essential services like the operating carols, the natal intensive care units, respirators, and so on received power. Almost immediately, the switchboard was lit up with calls from very agitated air traffic controllers from the nearby O'Hare International Airport asking what had happened to the fluorescent cross on top of the hospital. Pilots coming in for landings had used that cross as a visual reference point as they descended and, seeing no cross, had been thinking that they were coming in from the wrong side of the airport. They were pulling up and flying in stacks over O'Hare. From that night onward, the cross was included in the emergency power network. The cross is our reference point. We see the love of God on it, what God did to restore the living relationship with God for which we were created. But there are always other things that creep close to our hearts and then bring their chaos even into our churches. The world is always shouting for the theology of the cross to be replaced by a theology of glory. Tim Keller, the Presbyterian pastor who started a healthy church in Manhattan in the city of New York and who was a respected author, once wrote, Churches that are too heavily invested in the public agenda of a particular party or candidate can appear to others to be captive to an ideology instead of the Lordship of Christ. I think that Beyond how perceptions might influence our mission, the danger goes beyond appearances. And the danger can come from the right or from the left, especially when our beliefs and practices are formed by whatever is currently in vogue among the members of our political party or ideological cohort. President Gerald Ford once said, There are only three major vehicles to keep us informed as to what is going on in Washington. The electronic media, the print media, and Doonesbury, not necessarily in that order. I thought of that when a colleague recently posted a copy of the Doonesbury comic strip from April 22, 2018. It shows a mature pastor with his back to the congregation examining a written report and thinking, this can't be right. My flock can't handle this much sin. He then turns to the congregation and says, one final announcement from the Board of Elders. There has been some confusion among evangelicals as to what currently constitutes sin in the eyes of the church. So to clarify, we now condone the following conduct, profanity, adultery, and sexual assault. The next panel shows the congregation hearing him say, exemptions to Christian values also include greed, bullying, conspiring, boasting, lying, cheating, sloth, envy, wrath, gluttony, and pride others TBA. The pastor concludes, lastly, we're willing to overlook biblical illiteracy, church non-attendance, and no credible sign of faith. In the last panel, the congregation is filing out, shaking the pastor's hand and saying, loving the lower bar, pastor, and me too, I feel like a freaking saint now. The pastor replies, enjoy. Is this where the church is now? Or are we called to excel in Lent? 
to lower the bar or to return to the Lord our God? Is it to live to gain worldly power or to live in response to having received the great gift of Jesus Christ on the cross for the salvation of the world? Is it to resist systems that oppose God's will, creeping commercialism, and the lust to rule in the place of God? Is there a still more excellent way? Paul talks about the Christian life and about receiving and giving in response regarding his collection of money for the Macedonian churches in his second letter to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8-7. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. There are 40 days in Lent between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. Let us use those 40 days, written as an XL in Roman numerals, to excel in whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, in any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, in generosity, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for one another. Let us excel in Lent. Today, let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal, and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to either of the same addresses, and we'll include them next time. Send your comments, questions, and concerns there as well, and we'll respond to every one. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated, to open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune into the worship services they have available and support your church with your time, your treasure, and your talent. Pray for and support your pastor and church leaders as they seek to do God's will for your congregation. If you are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Contact a friend or a relative. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. There are people around you who will walk with you through this dark time into the light. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly, avoid crowds if you can, and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. But most importantly, get your vaccines and boosters. It's the one thing you can do to literally save lives and get us back on track. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, everyone you meet today struggles in some way. Be a helper and encourager. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together as we move into the new normal. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, 
the presence of the Holy Spirit and stay hydrated.